terms of seeing it and realized in human beings. I think you have something to say, Matt, about how we might expedite that. Yeah, and and I mean, again, I think one way you can think about this is if you, and I, I kind of look at, I think there's a question of, you know, what should we be looking at, right? Is lifespan the right phenotype to be sort of setting as the, the gold standard metric? I think it is for a couple of reasons. One, if we're interested in longevity, that's the phenotype that we should be looking at. Um, another is it's sort of unambiguous, right? So we haven't really talked about health span and, and we probably won't have time to do a deep dive on that today. Um, you can invite me back on if you want, we can for that one. But I think it's fair to say that health span is a bit ambiguous in, in terms of how we measure it. There is not a consensus for how we measure it. Whereas lifespan, it's really no question, <laughs> um, birth to death. So I would say that's the phenotype we should be setting as the gold standard. And if we think about it from like the, you know, let's just say like an Olympic sport, right? There's going to be a world record, right? And if we think about lifespan, what's the world record for lifespan? Okay, 122 years in people that, and I'm not even going to get into the controversy about Jean Calment, was it really, she's really her or her daughter. But, you know, we can do that in model organisms and we can say, what's the world record established for lifespan? And this is sort of the whole point that I was getting at about we're not seeing the world record be broken. Yeah, she was 122 <laughs> years old. Nobody's come close. Think about the alternative. When we, do, we check a test for sensitivity and specificity, we have a complete universe for both. And we have an incomplete universe for both. And one influences the other. So if you have a promising study for one, it's more likely to be promoted, as does sure. publication bias. Yeah. So it's very hard to make inferences between that and the small sample, too, um, where what, what you're talking about is something that is an alternative to the status quo. And the status quo of using this for mice is completely untenable. You calculated even testing 100,000 treatments in 40 middle-aged mice per tre treatment. And remember, the ITP, I love the ITP. How many times have I brought up the ITP here? It's like, God bless the Who ITP. But the reality is it can only test three to six interventions each year since 2004. So we're talking about 65 compounds up till the date you published. And then CITP, yeah. which has... Its own issue is they only reported on 45 compounds since 2013, and yeah. they, they, they had trouble even just having single compounds that agreed with all the different strains. Um, and that's, again, back to the C. elegans issue of translation. If we tried to do this for mice when there are millions of molecule candidates, even testing 100,000 molecules in 40 middle-aged mice per treatment would cost over 1.2 billion, that's with a B, just in animal costs alone, including costs and logistics, we're talking over two billion is likely a substantial underestimate. So yep. we need to find some way to scale this. And mice don't scale in that way. And the question isn't will it all translate or will will half of it translate? It just is it is it better than chance by enough to justify it? And I think that's the million molecule challenge. Yeah. And let me just make a couple of comments on, on points that you raised. So one is um, uh, one of the things that I really like about this technology is that uh, it's, it's like I said, takes the human bias out of it and it's quantitative. So people have done drug screens in the past. This is where you're getting at like the hundred thousand, right? These are qualitative screens where you basically look for only the things that have big effects and then you validate one of them, right? Typically that's the way it's done in ac academia. 
But what we're talking about is quantitative, hopefully highly reproducible data um, ob obtained in an automated way, right? Where, again, it isn't reliant on somebody making a decision about whether the animal is alive or dead. It's all done in an automated way. So I think that's going to be quite valuable from the perspective of real reliability of the data, certainly different than what's been done in the in the past. And then the question of, you know, how good are worms as a model for discovering things that are relevant in mammals? Again, we don't know what the percent translation is going to be. I think if you look at the genetics, though, most of the genetics of longevity in mice that we know about is similar in worms. So, so a couple of things I would say, I think um, the, the way the worm bot actually works, and again, I don't view this as a super sophisticated solution, but it works well enough for us to be able to actually do something that I think before we built this was sort of unimaginable. Um, so the way the system works is there are populations of animals uh, maintained on a nutrient auger plate. They crawl around on the surface and eat E. coli, that's their food. And we use a webcam to position a, uh, sorry, a robot to position a webcam above the plate once every 10 minutes, take a picture. And then it does that for 144 plates. So that's 144 populations of about 30 animals each at a time. And it just takes a picture and every 10 minutes we get a picture. And then we have a neural network that can analyze those pictures, identify the animals, and then look from image to image, again, 10 minutes apart over the entire lifespan and tell us, number one, did the animal move? And number two, if so, how far did it move? So we can get information both about, is it still alive? And if it is, how fast is it moving? So to the extent that speed of movement is a health span metric, and I think it I think it certainly is in worms, it probably is in people too. Um, I think it's a reasonable secondary phenotype to look at, but really we're mostly interested in longevity. Validated. You, val you validated it too you, you, in, your, in that same study. That's right. Yeah. And we see it change with age. Um, so, so I think that, that the technology is very robust in that sense that we don't require any, any human interaction once the experiment's set up and the team at Aura now, so this was spun out into a company called Aura Biomedical since spinning out has actually developed, uh, new protocols to enhance even the throughput of the single device. So we can actually do about four times more than, than what we were um, proposing initially. So that really makes the million molecule challenge feasible with 50 devices over about three years. So I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but it's it's doable. And I don't really see any any real barriers to to accomplishing this this goal other than getting the resources to do it. So we're in the process of trying to to raise money to do it. Um, people ask like, oh, you know, or, or they say, oh, it's a company, you're just trying to make money. And honestly, if I could have done this on the academic side, I would have. I tried to get the resources to do it on the academic side. Um, that proved to be you know, not possible, at least not in the timeframe I was willing to wait. So I'm hoping that we'll be able to achieve the resources to do this on the for-profit side. But I would say, I would be perfectly happy if somebody wanted to fund this project to do the million molecule challenge and put it in an open access database because I think that's where the real power for the field comes from. And just to give an example of why, you know, people are very excited about artificial intelligence with good reason. 
I think this idea that AI is going to solve all our problems in in aging is is you know incorrect. AI is only as good as the data that you can put into it. It's only as good as your training set. And if our training set is rapamycin and metformin and alpha ketoglutarate and spermidine, guess what we're going to get out? We're going to get out things like out. That, that's not garbage. It's not garbage. Don't you no, ever call rapamycin no, 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 garbage? No, 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 no. What I'm saying, what, <laughs> what, what I'm, what I'm saying, what I'm, what, uh, what I'm referring to is the non-worm bot data. What I'm saying is that, that you're that if you look between labs, all the independent studies, uh, it's very hard to have reproducible. So there's data noise in the because system. They use, yeah. There's noise. They're different yeah. uh, mice strains, even when you have the same one, they use different protocols. So one of the beauties about uh, Wormbot is for things out, I, I think for, you know, rapamycin is further uh, downstream that passage. So it's not really relevant to, uh, to this discussion, but rather for the garbage in, garbage out is for all these other candidates, which might be as good <laughs> uh, well, as, you have let, as, as rapamycin or better, you standardize it. Uh, uh, rephrase that, which is to say that, um, you know, I think, there's the noise question. There's certainly a lot of noise in the literature, but even if we accept that everything out there is correct, let's just say there's no noise. Everything that's out there is correct. Let's say everything in drug age is correct. It seems to me unlikely that even if we put everything in drug age that extends lifespan and trained the neural network on that, that we're going to find new things that are substantially better than what we already know about, right? Um, that's the real, and again, this goes back to my whole rationale for doing this. The reason why I think we need something like this is because we're not breaking the world record every week or every month or even every year or every freaking decade, right? Why aren't we at least breaking the longevity world record every decade? Um, yeah, so we- your frustration we... <laughs> out with me, Matt. <laughs> All right, I was waiting for that. All right. So, so we That's need fine. these new approaches and I don't think AI is going to save us because there's a reason why we're not breaking the world record is because we're not looking. So that's to me what I'm most excited about here. I have no doubt that if we, even if we test a hundred thousand things, we're going to set a new world record, right? And we need to, we need to do that. We need to find out what else is out there. Um, and I think one of the things we can do when you start getting to the scale of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of experiments is you can really start to explore the combinatorial landscape. I know a lot of people, and you'll hear, hear people say this, like, well, we should be looking at combinations because combinations are going to be better than single drugs. And there's some evidence to support that. Problem is, as soon as you start looking at combinations, the number of things you need to test, you know, grows dramatically. Even if you just think about... 10. Let's say we had 10 drugs that we're super excited about. Just to do every pairwise combination now becomes 100 experiments, right? To do three-way combinations, multiply it by another factor of 10. So you really need the scale to be able to explore that space. And this gives us an opportunity to do that. So I am as certain as I can be without having done the experiment that we are going to find things that are much better than rapamycin or metformin or pick your favorite current longevity intervention. We just you need to go look. A, you actually already already have. You started to release some early combinations with yeah. a metformin, and um, I was comparing between you know the the the, the single agent versus the combinant metrics, and yeah. uh, it's not it's not just that there can be an additive synergy. There can be there's the potential for to a point for even a multiplicative uh, synergy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. when you think about it from a biological plausibility standpoint, 
uh, it's a if we had a weakest link model, if we can strengthen multiple things simultaneously, uh, different networks are, and units can sort of work in harmony. And that's really what we see genetically, right? Longer lived organisms, although we have found a number of single genes uh, that do right. a lot like like the mTOR pathway. Now we can look at whole several gene networks interacting together in a, a synergistic manner. Yeah, that that's right. And so um, I think you know the the reason why we did that first experiment, which was just take metformin alone and combine it individually with other FDA approved drugs, was really to understand what does the interaction landscape look like. How often do you get? synergy, additivity, anti-synergy, no effect, right? And and I think what we learned is you see all of those things. And at least for me, um, you see these interactions more often than you would expect and in ways that are, at least given my understanding, unpredictable. And I want to take this back to the AI. I think one of the real powers of being able to do 100,000, 200,000, a million experiments is then your training set is much more powerful. I don't think I'm, I don't have a, I, I'm, I don't have enough understanding of biological complexity. I don't think to ever be able to predict pairwise combinations of drugs with any accuracy. But I think if we measure enough of these things, does. if we measure enough of these interactions, then you can you can start to make predictions that a human being or the AI can start to make predictions that a human being probably wouldn't be able to. So I actually see, you know, in addition to setting the world record over and over and over and over again, just from doing this million molecule challenge, creating the tool set to enable next generation technolo AI technologies to query that, that data could have you know, very profound impacts on our ability to predict these kinds of interactions going forward. So to me, this is why I call it a pragmatic moonshot. Like, first of all, it's not that expensive. Secondly, it can be done in a reasonable timeframe. Um, you're gonna learn new important things. The, the, like the, 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 the lowest possible outcome is we're going to find a bunch of stuff that's better than rapamycin. <laughs> like, like that's the worst case yeah. scenario. The best case scenario is it completely revolutionizes our understanding of aging biology. To me, this is a no brainer. If we only look under the ordinary, we'll never find the surprises that are the real game changers. I think we need these moonshots. And usually it's like, it's just at one end or another. It's like either we build on incremental knowledge or it's uh, taking a wild guess. This eliminates that by looking at, by being blind to what nature already created. That's something amazing. Like as a physician, I see just how many discoveries we've had, including rapamycin, right? Because it's, it's, right. it's, Nature was made to interact with other nature in an ecosystem, and there there have been evolutionary reasons for uh, one organism either to it to itself or to other organisms to affect its physiology. And for us to capitulate on the entire universe of that, as both the natural as well as well as the artificial, because sometimes things can be honed or primed by little tinkers, because little tinkers little probabilistic things. That's how nature evolved in the first place, right, Matt? So yep. by doing that, we we, uh, we are able to have the best of both worlds, have something that is uh, both a moonshot. And at the same time, we have a model. We know how to get to the moonshot. Usually the problem is we have no idea how to get to the moon. It's like, no, we build this <laughs> and stuff spontaneously emerges from you know the primordial goo and we see what the AI has found. 
brilliant. <laughs> what, what else does the, uh, I want us to be able to wrap up because unlike machines, we need uh, to tend to our physiology and be quite- Yeah, I, I, I fasted about as long as I can go. Huh? Yeah, I said I fasted yeah. about as long as I can a, go. What's your longest fast ever? Is it, oh, this is the fastest, is this the longest ever? No, this is not the longest ever. Because <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> that'd be bragging rights. It's like the longest fast yeah. mass. I'm, I'm, guy. It was a I'm not a, I'm not a big, I'm not big into fasting in case people didn't know. No, I, I fast, I, I don't know more than a week my, myself. And, and that has, that has no oh, bearing God. in my philosophy and belief in fasting, which as you said, is another episode. So for this yeah. audience of geroscientists and uh, let's uh, billionaires, okay, and 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 multimillionaires. Those who are potential angel investors or advocates or people who can support you, Matt, at a, any level of the game. They've maybe followed you for years, and they're like, "Here's Matt. I've always wondered. I wanted to hear from Matt how I X can help." This is your last piece. That <laughs> and where can people can find you? Yeah. So there's there's two things that I would point people towards if they're interested in, in really helping things that I'm passionate about. So I've been I've been involved in what I would call two pragmatic moonshots in my life. One is the Dog Aging Project. Uh, that's a nonprofit, uh, and you can go to the Dog Aging Project website, dogagingproject.org. Donate there. I think that work that the team is doing at the Dog Aging Project is immensely important to the field. And look, if we can help people's pets live longer, that's a win. So. That's one place where I would point people. Um, and the other is Aura. So, you know, Aura is looking to uh, fill out the seed round so we can do the million molecule challenge. In fact, Aura is going to be launching um, a community project where people can actually sponsor interventions toward the million molecule challenge. People can opt out of having their interventions included in an open access database. But if you want to, you can contribute to an open access database by sponsoring interventions. You can even pick the intervention you want. You can compete against your friends. We're gonna have a leaderboard to see who can pick the intervention with the largest effect. So, um, so well, people are interested- you write that down on a piece of paper so you don't forget <laughs> at the end of the podcast. <laughs> so uh, the website is aurabiomedical.com. That should be up in the next couple of weeks. I don't know when this is gonna air, but probably by the time it airs, uh, that will be available. And look, I would encourage people to do it. I think it's a win for the community. I hope that people will get engaged and participate. Um, and I hope people are, are enthusiastic about it because I think that this, um, you know, like I said, I think that this could really be a game changer for the field. And, and you know, we all, I think that's something we all share is a desire to really move things forward as quickly as we possibly can in geroscience. That's what it's all about, Matt. You didn't mention OptiSpan. I thought you were going to mention OptiSpan. That's like uh, well, to I mean, about that? I'm not. I'm not raising money for OptiSpan. So okay. you know, we we finished our seed round. We're off to the races. But That's if people great. are interested, well, there'll also be more information about OptiSpan uh, being made public soon. We've been kind of flying under the radar, but uh, we'll be a bit more visible. And I'm super excited about that. We can have another podcast discussion about OptiSpan in I the future. It. It's been uh, great having you, Matt. I, I loved our conversation. It was one unlike I've 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 seen pretty much every podcast out there, and it's unlike any of the the previous. We covered some awesome ground, and uh, thank you for joining me in this fire science geoscience talk. Together. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Take care. Bye bye.